Around 14 billion years ago, the universe as we know it was created. A big bang happened, and it began to spread out elements and make everything. But before that, everything was something. Something weird. And it was not the stuff that it is today. Your house and the stuff in your house was not there at the time. It did not exist. All that was there was one single element and a bunch of it. When that exploded, that element spread out across the universe as the universe expanded and formed stars, which fused more elements together under extreme heat and pressure. Eventually, those stars fused iron, which they could not get any more energy from, so they exploded. This supernova, as it's called when a star explodes, creates even more elements. Around 4 billion years ago, Earth was created. Life has began to exist and develop since then, and we got the stage we are today with intelligent humans. Our intelligent species has not really been interested in the elements until the late 1700s and 1800s, or early 1800s, when they began to research it. A lot of scientists were interested in this, except there was no one way to organize them. There was many different tables at the time, it was getting very confusing. This is why Dmitri Mendeleev created what we now know as the periodic table. It was not perfect, there was a lot of missing spots and spots that we would later fix, and we just completely flipped it. But it was the first actual good periodic table that scientists liked. Since then, the study of elements has become increasingly advanced to the point where we can make our own, and they, we pretty much understand the whole periodic table. On the lower right corner of the periodic table, there's a group of elements known as the Poisoner's Corridor by some people. These elements are extremely toxic and can do a lot of damage to humans, and here's Rohit to tell us more about them. In the lower right side of the table, there are a bunch of poisonous elements, nicknamed the Poisoner's Corridor by Sam Keen in the book The Disappearing Spoon. The lightest of these elements is cadmium. Now, cadmium has a lot of properties. It's used to make batteries and such, and technological devices and such. But the thing about cadmium is it also is a big causer of pro medical problems such as uh, in the case of the Itai Itai disease in 1912 Japan, where, this, uh, where miners were dumping this sludge of cadmium after they had purified zinc into their rivers and ground, which then went onto the local water supply and rice fields, and which got inside the bodies of many people. This element then made their bones very, very, very much in pain and terrible joint pain. So much so that it, there was snapping in whenever the doctors would examine the person, uh, person's bone. And this was amplified in the case of women especially. And after that, the doctors began to find out that a doctor named uh, by Hageno, uh, uh, try to find out the cause of this disease. And they had nicknamed, uh, they had called this disease the Itai Itai disease or ouch ouch disease because that's what the patient said whenever the doctors would examine their bones and such. 
So Hagino uh, laid out maps upon maps showing the locations of where the disease was caused, where the cadmium was dumped, and etc. And he filed this to the public health department. And eventually, this was accepted that cadmium was the cause and it was outlawed in Japan, in a sense, of dumping cadmium, you know, into streams and all that. And that's just one of the poisonous corridor. There are many other elements, such as thallium. My friend Dominic here has uh, knows a lot about the element thallium, another one of the elements from the poisonous corridor. What have you found out about it? Um, thallium, once it invades, it can pretend to be multiple different elements by losing different amounts of electrons. And once an animal cell is invaded by thallium, it starts destroying amino acids inside proteins, making them useless. And stuff like this can make your hair fall out. And unlike cadmium, thallium can travel all over the body. Yeah, thallium was also used by the CAA to attempt to assassinate Fidel Castro, except it never went through with their plan. And unlike cadmium, which uh, accumulates in the body, uh, and it can be... Um, it hurts the body as it accumulates it becomes more and more toxic as time goes on and it sticks around for ages yes and thallium and cadmium are not the only elements in the poisoner's corridor radon is another one of the elements it is found in uranium mines and unventilated stuff and it's emitted by most radioactive um, elements and it's very very dangerous because some people it can get in their lungs and do a ton of damage and cause lung cancer mm -hmm. um people have to use well people at least who live by uranium mines have to have radon detectors that regularly search their basement to see if there's any of this gas seeping in their house because it could kill them Due to radium being a heavy element that actually sinks in the lungs and uh, displaces the air. Mm -hmm. So air can no longer get into your lungs. As we see, uh, radioactivity dominates uh, the bottom of the periodic table, including in the Poisoner's Corridor. Before we continue to the next segment, which will be about measurements and measurement units, Rohit wants to talk about mercury. Mercury is the most worst poison among the elements. It's a neurotoxin, meaning uh, that it's a substance that attacks the nervous system in a person, an animal. And your friend Isabel wants to jump in because um, mercury was used in Mad Hatter's uh, way of skinning fur from removing the fur from the pelt. And... That's why they called them Mad Hatters, because they would yeah, go mad from all the and many mercury. rulers in the ancient days, uh, they would drink or consume mercury, and they would die of it, mercury poisoning and all that. And uh, this, they did this because they thought it would give them immortality, which, of course, didn't happen. And uh, another place where mercury was used was in the Lewis and Clark expedition, where they used it as medicine laxatives, I believe, and scientists found that out by examining the excrements left by Lewis and Clark in their uh, journey. Scientists uh, tend to like things that are standardized, and 
always are consistently the same in order to measure stuff. So um, there's a grand kilogram in France, and that is the it is the it is always the kilogram by definition. It is one point zero 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 kilograms, no matter how much weight it loses or gains. And other countries have countries have their own copies of it that are compared against it in order if they want an accurate measurement. And the kilogram has failed to be kept perfect, though. It has lost a few atoms and gained a few atoms from smudges from fingers. Yeah, they take extremely good care of it, like uh, checking the temperature, who touches it, how they touch it, how they go about even uh, uh, like handling it and everything like that. And what is it? It's become a problem more so because more and more of these measurement tools have become incorporated, I would say, into like the periodic table, uh, such as the meter and the second, which are another form of measurement tools. The meter was once a metal rod and has now been changed to be defined as one... Million. Um, the distance uh, any light travels in a vacuum in one two hundred ninety nine million seven hundred ninety two thousand four hundred fifty eighth of a second. Um, the of official definition of a second used to be about one eighty six thousand four hundred of a spin of one spin on the Earth's axis, but Earth doesn't spin consistently. So the U.S. Standards Bureau has had developed a cesium-based atomic clock that to define the second instead. There are other measurement tools as well, a measurement of extreme precision, to say the least. Ampere, which is an electric current, candela, luminous intensity, uh, we've talked about this, meter, the length, uh, Kelvin, temperature, and absolute zero is used in Kelvin, and it means when there's no atom moving in uh, element and or molecule and all that. Um, Please note, absolute zero is impossible to reach, and it requires there to be no energy whatsoever in the entire universe. Yeah, but scientists have come close to it in uh, laboratories, reaching near it, but not at it. The mole, which is the number of atoms in a given amount of a substance. The second time, and kilogram mass. And those are the seven base units that scientists use. Before we continue to the next segment, which will be about elements during the times of war, we have a message from our sponsor. Presented by the Periodic Company are lead cups. Order now and buy free ultra-dense lead cups. You can put water in them and drink from them. Oh. And it comes with one ounce of free mercury for your own enjoyment. Order now for 24 easy payments of $3.99. And or if you order in the next 10 seconds, we guarantee you one free gallium spoon. Fritz Haber. was a Jewish scientist that worked how to change ooh, ooh. the most common chemicals into ammonia. Ammonia was used for fertilizer and likely saved millions from starvation. However, he was interested in more than just fertilizer. He wanted cheap ammonia to help Germany build nitro nitrogen explosives. He even had his own division called the Haber Office, and they promoted him a 48-year-old Jewish man. He later converted to Lutheranism. 
And he also made a bunch of gases, which contained bromine and chlorine, and turned people's skin yellow, green, and black. And people died from the fluid buildup in their lungs. And the first successful gas attack was led by Haber in 1955, leaving 5,000 French soldiers burned and scarred in muddy trenches. But Haber was not done yet. In his free time, he created horrible biological law called the Haber Rule to help calculate exposure time, gas concentration, and death. And that must have required a depressing amount of data to produce. Also, he won the 1918 Nobel Prize in 1919 for chemistry. Mm -hmm. This is due to um, the Nobel Prizes not being handed out during war. And this was after he led the first successful gas attack. Yeah, yeah. Another thing about chemical weapons is they've been used, like, since ancient Greek. Spartans used smoke to gas the Athenians into submission, which didn't really work. Uh, And yeah, that was... Yes. Chemical weapons have really been used a lot throughout history, but not so much in the modern times because we know the effects of them and just how inhumane and stuff they are. But chemicals as a whole have not been completely disconnected from conflict. In the mid-1990s, cell phone makers needed tantalum and niobium, so they went to the world's largest supplier, which was the Democratic Republic of Congo, to get it. And those two elements can be found in a mineral called Colton. If you found Colton, you can make a fortune by selling it to cell phone makers. So farmers would abandon their farms to go sell this mineral, and they would search for it, which ruined the food supply because farmers stopped making crops. So people were forced to go and hunt gorillas and other food things, and they wiped the gorillas in the area to near extinction because of this. And that's not all. Since all this money was pouring into Congo, which had very, very little government at the time, a brutal form of capitalism took over, and everything was up for sale, including human lives. But once cell phone makers saw this, they stopped buying the tantalum and niobium from Congo, and instead chose Australia, and a truce pretty much ended a lot in 2003, but things have not really settled down in the east of the country, and overall, more than 5 million people have died from the conflict.